Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. What is melodrama and how do we avoid it? How do we write emotional scenes without being over the top? All that and more on today's episode of Writer Unleashed. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach, and each week we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. is melodrama. Melodrama is an emotional scene that doesn't earn its emotion. It's the equivalent of bad acting. It calls attention to itself and it's cliche. It's a scene in which the character has only one emotion. It might be sadness or terror or anger, but whatever the emotion is, the writer is trying to convince us, the reader, how to feel. And this usually happens because the writer doesn't trust the power of their own writing, even when the scene is inherently frightful. The character is being held up at gunpoint, let's say. So the writer might fall back on something like, David shook with terror, or chills ran up and down his spine, or it was fear mixed with adrenaline. But the better strategy is to use language to recreate the character's experience so that the reader feels the chills or the dread or the rage or the grief on the character's behalf. So number one, use restraint. We don't want to chase our reader into a corner with our character's emotions or their response to a highly charged situation. Now, there's a story, and I don't remember the title, but the female character has just learned that her husband has been having an affair and is leaving her for this other woman. Now, melodrama would be her doing what we would expect, crying or screaming or throwing dishes or screaming, get out. But her grief, her anger, her hurt, her sense of deep betrayal is summed up in one line of dialogue. I have borne your son. So there's a lot of power in restraint. Number two, withhold and delay. Give the reader the equivalent of a near-death experience. So when something really tragic happens, let's say a death or some other 
tragic happening. We often remember it in flashes. We don't remember it chronologically. We relive it in pieces. And that's because it's it's really hard to confront. In the world, according to Garp, there's a scene about a horrific car accident in which Garp and his wife and their son are badly injured. But after the accident is described, we jump to the weeks and months of recovery and Garp's slow return to writing again. And this goes on for about 10 pages. It isn't until the end of the chapter, roughly 10 pages later and months later in the story, that we learn about their youngest son, Walt's death in the accident. So 10 pages after the scene of the accident, Garp is he's confronting the trauma. He's recalling it. And he recalls this. It was not Helen screaming. It was not Duncan screaming. It was something else. It was not a sound. It was no sound. It was the absence of sound. Where's Walt? Helen said, trying to see into the Volvo. She stopped screaming. Walt, cried Garp. He held his breath. Duncan stopped crying. They heard nothing, and Garp knew Walt had a cold you could hear from the next room, even two rooms away. You could hear that wet rattle in the child's chest. So it's worth noting here that prior to this chapter about the accident, there's a whole chapter about Walt's chronic cough. Um, which is described as sounding like a, a wet rattle. So we're spared the unbearable trauma of Walt's death at the time of the accident. So our knowledge of Walt's death is is delayed. It's it's withheld and it's delayed. So you want to um, withhold and delay because that's really the way we respond um most of us respond that way to trauma. We're not able to confront it all in one um, moment or in one recollection. It comes in fragments. Number three, use objects. The poet Wai Tai once said this, poetry presents the thing in order to convey the feeling. It should be precise about the thing and reticent about the feeling. For as soon as the mind responds and connects with the thing, the feeling shows in the words. So great writing evolves most intently by our attention to the objects in our story. So the way to get the greatest, most imaginative and emotional resonance is not by focusing on your character's feelings or their thoughts or their reactions to what's happening, but by selecting a sensory world for them to inhabit. So, you know, readers respond to images. They don't respond to just words. They respond to images, sensory images. So if you're going to give us the contents of your character's bedroom or describe the street he's standing on at night, 
Ask if those details are anchored in your character's consciousness. Because often, you know, the details that we include in our story are just clutter. They're just ornamentation. But you want to make use of of those details in service of your story. So what our characters pay attention to and how they perceive the objects around them can reveal more about how they feel than an explicit explanation or description of their emotion can. So a view of the sun rising over the bay at the same exact moment will look different to a woman whose child is missing than to a woman who's just fallen in love. And one of the things that can cause melodrama is a character's one-note emotion. So they're either mad or they're sad or they're enraged or whatever, or they're scared. But we never feel just one emotion. We feel many simultaneous and conflicting emotions. So anger can be wrapped up in fear or hurt or disappointment, even love. But we're usually not conscious of our conflicting emotions. We are just, we're raw and we respond. So the world observed by your character can embody the full spectrum of emotional layers. And these are feelings that the characters themselves are not equipped to articulate, much less understand. So for example, in Suzanne Burney's novel, A Crime in the Neighborhood, 10-year-old Marsha is reacting to a series of upheavals. Her father has just deserted the family to carry on a love affair with her aunt Ada, and Boyd Ellison, a young boy in the neighborhood, has just been found murdered behind the Spring Hill Mall. So imagine all of these events converging on this young child. So the author doesn't tell us that Marcia feels sad about her father's absence or fear about Boyd Ellison's murder. She doesn't explain that everything Marcia's learned to trust has been suddenly turned upside down. She lets the objects in her house carry those emotions. Her sadness becomes embodied in scuff marks on the stairs, in the scorch at the back of the lampshade, in the deep blue ink stain on the sofa cushion. So we know that she feels malfunctioned, damaged, broken, and stained herself just by the way she describes the objects in her house. So there's camouflage, and at the same time, there's revelation. The narrator tells us something essential about herself, but by shifting the focus to the things in her house, she avoids self-pity and sentimentality. So objects can be figurative representations for what our characters can't, won't, or refuse to acknowledge about their own condition. The poet T.S. Eliot called this the objective correlative, and it's a great way to put show, don't tell into action. He believed that the most important element in writing is this, rendering the description of an object so that the emotional state of the character from whose point of view we receive the description is revealed without ever telling the reader what that emotional state is or what has motivated it. So here's a writing challenge for you, adapted from an exercise by the late John Gardner. 
A single mother is waiting at a bus stop. She has just learned that her young daughter has died violently. Describe the setting from the woman's point of view without mentioning the daughter or the death. How will the street look to this woman? What are the sounds? What are the odors? Colors? What will she notice? What will her clothes feel like? Write a 250-word description. Now, this exercise is demanding, but it's probably one of the best way I know of to break this urge to um, to explain how your character feels or have them e- express it in a way that's melodramatic. So keep these tips in mind. Use restraint. Don't chase your your reader um, into a corner with your character's emotions. Number two, withhold and delay, especially when it's a it's around a traumatic event in the story. And number three, use objects. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Writer Unleashed. More free resources are available at nancypannuccio.com. So head on over there to grab your gifts. And if you want to connect with more like-minded writers and with me, join us in our private Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash writer unleashed community. It's totally free to join. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Till then, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.